the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome in. I'm Rob Black. A little echo. We'll get that fixed in just a second. Perfect. Talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Happy December 3rd. 22 days till Christmas. 22 days till Santa. We're missing our Santa call out, but that's okay. Um, Take a look at the markets. We have the S&P 500 up two. The Dow is up fractions. The NASDAQ is down seven. Um, nothing too dramatic going on. You know, the NASDAQ's um, outside the market for sure today at this point in time. Taking a look at, you know, the stories out there. The markets turned around yesterday. So also known as a turnaround Tuesday. Um... But will the buy the dip crowd show up earnestly or hardcore? Thoughts of more policy stimulus in China and the Eurozone combined with stronger than expected auto sales in November, a little merger and acquisition activity in the United States, and some musings about expanded profit margins for many companies on the back of falling commodity prices. As oil goes lower, it gets cheaper for anyone to ship things. Even UPS, like FedEx, are more in play. At the moment, there's a wait-and-see attitude prevailing. So the big ECB meeting lies for tomorrow. The volatility in the commodity pits is persisting, which is causing fits for everyone aiming to trade around it. A report of a nuclear accident in southeast Ukraine, which poses no danger. A weaker-than-expected third-quarter GDP report out of Australia, and a batch of relatively soft services readings from China and the Eurozone have given us some distractions to think about. Semiconductor company Microchip Technology said it will be confident that the small correction it experienced in the September quarter is behind it. Apparel retailer Amber Crombie & Fitch lowered its full-year adjusted earnings per share guidance and said it expects conditions to remain difficult through the balance of its fourth quarter. The ADP employment change showed an estimated 208,000 jobs were added to the private sector payrolls. That was below expectations of about 225,000. Third quarter productivity growth was revised up to 2.3% from an originally reported 2% gain. Unit labor costs, though, were revised down to show a 1% decline versus a previously reported 3 tenths of percent gain. Hourly compensation rose 1.3%. But that was instead of the 2.3% estimate. So a little softer labor cost trends provide you know, rationale for the Fed to refrain from raising the Fed fund rates anytime soon. And that's what we have for you know the market commentary coming out of the gate this morning. Global markets are relatively quiet. Crude oil on the rise despite the dollar strength. A lot of people want to guess the bottom. I think you nibble. A little bit now, a little bit in a month, a little bit a month after that, and you're done. Sector strength day in energy, financials, industrials, and materials. Weakness in consumer staples, healthcare, utilities, telecom, and that's it. The SP 500 traded higher. Um, the biotech stocks seem to be the ones that are pulling down the overall uh, NASDAQ today. The 10 year treasury sits at 2.3%. That's incredibly low, and it's almost discouraging because 
you want at some point in time to be focusing in on strength in the world economies and thoughts. Um, we're not getting that. Crude oil sits at 67.44 barrel. Gold uh, sits right at around 1,200. And that's what we have on that. Um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, hmm. Hershey explores the removing of corn syrup. Um, I think this is a story that, again, reflects health consciousness. And, you know, I told you a little bit earlier, Amber Crombie and Fitch, teen retailer for clothing, said that, you know, the year's not going to live up to what we thought it was. They're blaming that on basically the millennials and the teenagers who are ultimately saying, you know, I'd rather have a phone than new clothes. And that kind of mentality is one of the reasons Hershey is looking at replacing high fructose corn syrup in some of its products with sugar. Will Papa, the chief research and development officer at Hershey, told the Associated Press the company uses a mix of sugar and high fructose corn syrup in its products, but it's moving more towards sugar. And he said, we take into account what consumers want, and consumers are telling us that they prefer sugar. Um, this would be a pretty high-profile example of the move away from high fructose corn syrup in the food industry. Many people say that they avoid it because it has gained a bad reputation for fueling weight gain and diabetes. The health experts say there's not enough evidence to include that it's any worse than regular sugar. Um, but are we under that replacement of high fructose corn syrup as an industry? I think it's interesting to note. So I'm not going to jump up and down on that story and beat it in the ground, but it is interesting to um, note. Congress is poised to reinstate some tax breaks. I think Wall Street would define that bullish. So Congress looks at some tax breaks that expired earlier this year. Uh, most of these will benefit businesses, some individuals, and nonprofits. Lawmakers from both parties pushed for a longer-term deal, but that collapsed last week. So that's in the news. Elsewhere of things that we have to talk about as far as headlines go, and they're out there. Um, the troubles with China are starting to become a little bit more obvious as they slow. They're still very much so dependent on exporting, so a lot of emerging markets are really struggling. Um, that's what that's telling you. TV viewing is slipping as streaming is booming. Viewership of traditional television dropped nearly 4% last quarter as online video streaming jumped 60%. Wow. Um, Apple iPod antitrust trial is getting underway. A decade-old class action suit being argued in court this week examines whether Apple violated antitrust laws by preventing the iPod from playing songs from other companies' music stores. Sprint has escalated the price war with... AT&T and Verizon, if you bring in a bill, Sprint promises to cut it in half. There's some catches, catches like you have to buy a phone from them. Um, but they're willing to subsidize up to $350 cost of switching as well. Anyway, it's worthy of throwing out there. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Uh, anything that you want to talk about, we could talk about today. Money, investing, and more. Don't be shy about getting in on the show and helping the show's content. Drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com.
I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Let's jump to a phone call. 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. BJ, how are you? Hey, Rob. Thanks. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, so I have a question on uh, your recommendations. Sometimes you, you recommend some components of DAO, like Procter & Gamble, Nike, American Express, and those things. So what's your opinion on directly buying the uh, DAA instead of buying those individual components? Um, I have no problem with the idea of <clears throat> buying the overall DAO. I would not make it my one and only investment. I would make it no more than 5% of my total investments um, because there's some components of the DAO that I don't like. Um, thanks for the call. So if he's talking about buying a Dow Jones Industrial Average 30 index, um, and I think that's what he was talking about, like an ETF or something along those lines, or an ETF that you know um, tracks just those um, components, uh, the 30 industrials. There's stocks to be missing, and again, I like the individual approach, but you may like more of an indexed approach, and I'm fine with you going that direction. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. One of the futures of digital is a conversation we should always have. Right now, the global Internet population is about 3 billion people online. That will grow. In fact, it's expected to be 4 billion people um, by the year, hmm, probably a couple years out. Again, global population is at 7.1 billion, 7.2 billion, somewhere right around there. I don't have exact numbers on that because that number's going to change. So we're pretty well penetrated. The U.S. consumer media consumption, we're pretty high on the list, you know, as far as being online. Um, and it's grown on a regular basis. So if you go to basically print media, um, our con- we've, we've been declining. Go to TV, declining of U.S. media consumption. But if you go on mobile, it's been climbing since 2009 uh, at 4%, all the way up to 23% now. So the area of growth is heavily mobile. Online has been declining as far as media consumption goes. Top five media mentions amongst all adults. You know, Most of them watch TV. Um, Use of smartphone is is getting growing though, as far as media mentions go. Digital is reaching the new generation aggressively. So money follows eyeballs. Ad spending is moving to digital and mobile. Um, so mobile's still pretty small, all things considered. Online ad, offline advertising, pretty large. Out of the hundred and seventy billion dollars spent this year, um a good $120 billion of that will be on offline. But digitally, um, mobile is very, very small. But the other digital, you know, like Internet banners and such, um, make up a large part. But mobile's going to be eating into it pretty fast. So select media companies estimated 2014 revenues. Uh, New York Times is about $2 billion. AOL about $3 billion. Yahoo about $5 billion. Uh, Viacom, $14 billion. CBS, $16 billion. Time Warner, $30 billion. Facebook, about $18 billion. Google, their, their you know, revenue, $70 billion. Great, um, more than twice the size of Time Warner. So estimated 2014 ad revenue, Google versus global TV market. Google's pulling in about $70 billion in ads. The overall global TV ad revenue, about $174 billion. So Google's killing it. I think Google's a company that should be considered for portfolios. Uh, for many years, TV folks have rightly laughed off digital concerns. It's time to stop laughing. 
Um, in large part, primetime household TV ratings have been declining aggressively since 2007. Primetime household ratings were about 6.2 in 2007. Now they stand right about 5.6. So they're losing the percentage of households with eyeballs watching them. And again, money follows eyeballs. Um, if you look at pay TV editions, satellite, it's been kind of squirmy. Um, cable, it's been pretty low. Telephone, it's been pretty high. Um, so the cable companies aren't what they used to be. And again, this is telling you that, you know, TV subscriptions are dropping. Uh, not just because of the economy, but because people are finding new ways to get content. You know, if I have a choice between watching The Voice and or watching, you know, something on my screen, whether it be news or even a game, I'll watch my screen, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I just find TV generally sucks when your program's not on. So Facebook reaches more young people than free TV. So on a daily basis, that's pretty amazing. So 63% of teenagers or people under 25, 18 to 25, get Facebook every day. And they get TV just 58%. Now, if we're a little bit older, we're still skewed towards TV. Um, but people who are old, age 55 and older, about 90% are reached every day by TV, and only about 42% are reached by Facebook. Netflix has passed HBO as paid domestic subscribers. Mark Cuban said something pretty interesting about this recently, and he talked about how cable TV is not going to go away because people still will want that front-end experience. I like the way he thinks, and sometimes I just have to sit there and say, okay, let's think about this. And, you know, before I bet big on Facebook or before I bet big on Netflix, uh, and I never bet big, but you get what, what I'm saying out of this. Um, I think he, he brings up thoughts uh, that deserve a little bit of time for us to digest them and, and, and think about. And sometimes maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong. So he's pretty well spoken. If you say nothing else, you know, he gets that. Basketball is entertainment, and I appreciate that. I, I don't think it's always about winning. And as an owner, I think it's important for him to get that, and he does. Ratings on YouTube. Um, YouTube reaches more 18 to 34-year-olds than any cable network. Um, you're talking about 1.2 billion people. Uh, four years ago, that's 400 million so how's that for growth? And it's going higher. I don't think I see a YouTube video every day, but I probably catch something on YouTube five times a week. Um, and just to give you an idea, like I get really tired when things like dryers break, and then I see the guy comes out and fixes it, and he kind of looks like a dunce. I'm like, I have to be able to fix a dryer or a dishwasher. It can't be that hard. So I get on YouTube, and there's a do-it-yourself how to do it. Pretty darn easy. Uh, so something like YouTube isn't necessarily, you know, Gangnam Style, which for the record, Gangnam Style actually broke YouTube. It, you know, the old phrase about it, that Kim Kardashian's took a sh broke YouTube. Uh, Gangnam Style actually broke YouTube. They had to go in. It's been viewed by so many people that they had to actually go into it, the coding, and change, you know, the numbers of billions that could actually be counted and the number of you know, people who have actually liked it. So Gangnam Style, notoriously by Psy, um, has over 9 million likes with 1 million dislikes, 2 billion views. And YouTube was coded to display on a based on a 32 integer system. So pretty crazy. So digital video revenue is no longer a joke. You know, companies like Hulu, YouTube, and Netflix are growing digital video revenue at a pretty nice pace. Now, who is the smallest? But we're talking about $11 billion a year for those three companies, with the lion's share of it being Netflix, but followed by YouTube, followed by Hulu. Hulu's nothing to sneeze at. iTunes and Netflix already dwarf small cable networks, cable networks versus digital content revenue. So iTunes pulls in about $17 billion a year, whereas Netflix pulls in about $5 billion, and AMC about $1.8 billion. So... All about the revenue. 
Now, YouTube ad revenue is closing in on CBS ad revenue, and CBS is considered the Tiffany network. Um, AMC is not going to really do much about that, but I'm just trying to give you some you know, different variables here um, as far as the way to think about digital and how not to think that it's done and why you still want to consider investments in companies like Google because of YouTube. Um, you still want to consider investing in Netflix when it's really weak. They're rolling out a Marco Polo show. That's really all about trying to get international subscribers because he was an international explorer. I don't want to ruin it for you, but he hangs out with Genghis Khan. That'll be coming to Netflix screen near you soon. You can find me online at robblack.com. Tweet me, Rob Black Show. Find me online at robblack.com. Thanks for listening to the show. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. I like to do like a lot of research on trends. You know, we've talked a little bit about trend investing recently. And um, time spent watching online video by content type. Um, sports are huge on connected TVs. It's getting there on tablets. Um, video on demand, you know, it's definitely catching up on desktop and tablets and mobile, but not quite where connected TVs are. Um, but all live events, the connected TV still dominates. Desktop does some live events well. Like if you've ever had to watch, say, like a World Cup game, they're there. Or the final um, March Madness, the 64. So eyeballs are leaving TV. But so far, TV money is hanging in there for them. And that won't stop overnight. But again, it is a trend. And it's pretty consistent. And a big shh sound. Not sure if that can be cleared or not. Um, anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. So no worries in TV land yet. But soon. Soon could be five years, and that may be the reason you start thinking, okay, I'm going to you know, give up my CBS and go to Google as far as stock goes. But then again, CBS has done a lot of right moves in 2014 with digital. So ad spending versus consumer time spent. Um, mobile, it's, it's more of a home run. Um, it's a very small amount of time on the content. So... I gotta fix my headphones because I'm just getting nothing but static feedback now. Let me send a quick message. Um, let's see. There we go. Um, other things to think about as far as digital goes is it's a matter of time. You know who's going on digital. Global smartphone shipments by the vendor. You can take a look at clearly Samsung's big, Apple's huge. And then you start getting into much smaller players, but they're growing. Blackberry, HTC, Motorola, Sony, uh, CoolPad, LG, Lenovo, Zyma. Um, global computer shipments have leveled off in the last two years, whereas tablets have grown aggressively. Tablets we're still learning about, though, which is 
interesting to note that here's a category that didn't really exist, and now it's out there pretty big time. Um, to the tune of about 120 million tablets in the third quarter of 2014. The replacement cycle on the tablet seems to be considerably longer than the replacement time on the phone, and some phones are starting to get bigger screens, thus making the tablets even more questionable on the replacement time. I've had, you know, a tablet for two plus years, and I see no need to change it anytime soon. Uh, percentage of the homes in America that have a connected TV has leveled off. Um, and you're starting to hear more and more stories about cord cutters. So about 72.6 million homes in America have connected TVs. And that's up. That's expected to be up uh, from about 65.7 million next year to 68.6 million in 2017 to 71.4 million. A large part of that is tied towards, you know, immigration, population increases, people leaving the home. So... The wearable device unit, obviously, is going to see faster growth than, say, the installed TV base. Um, and where we are now is minuscule as far as wearables go. Smart watches, fitness bands, and the other wearable markets are going to grow to 150 million units um, shift annually. And again, I just told you cable TV or installed TV bases, because you count the phone ones as well as cable, but and the satellite they're sitting, you know, they're stuck. This market's twice as big. The connected car is growing. Um, that should help telecom service providers. That should help hardware makers. But in-vehicle services will grow like a weed. Um, and that's an area where things like iHeartRadio and Spotify uh, will do very, very well getting into your dashboard. Keep in mind, in a couple of years from now, we're going to have to have a screen in our car to show cars going in reverse, a camera. And that's going to help, again, the installed base. Uh, not that hard to take that, suddenly make it a screen, take that, suddenly connect it to the Internet, take that, and start moving apps into the car. And uh, I think you're already seeing it if you go to a car dealer. You'll get a feel for it. Um, should we be mobile only as a society? I don't think so. So I'm kind of getting back to my thought on Mark Cuban that he is kind of right, that you know we still want the front-end experience before we start relying completely on wearables and smart TVs and tablets and smartphones and personal computers. Um, so I'm big into the concept that mobile is a focus, and you might even go far as back as a couple months and think about what not a couple of months, but a couple of years. Two years ago, Facebook didn't have any mobile revenue. And Wall Street freaked out on them. And they fixed that immediately. And that's how fast they can fix it. Anyhow, you can find me online at robblack.com. Find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Email me, rob at robblackshow.com. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Eight hundred five one six twelve twenty to get your calls on the air. It's eight hundred five one six twelve twenty to get your calls on the air. Again, anything you want to talk about, we could talk about on this show. I pride myself on that. Um, taking a look at the markets, you know, this global stories. You're hearing things like ExxonMobil says they're okay with oil at $40 a barrel. Wow. It may be time to step in and start nibbling on some oil stocks. Um, 
That's a pretty big, bold statement. The sector is a massive buying opportunity. Who says that? Again, you're seeing a little strength in oil today. This is partially because of that reason. Energy is the only SP500 sector down on the year, creating some value. It's lost 8.5% year to date. Um, David Seberg, head of trading at Cohen Company, said at these levels it's an absolute buying opportunity. He sees two factors on energy. First is that he expects oil supplies to eventually respond, leading to stability in prices at the very least. And second, he said, exploration production companies are reducing their capital expenditures. So we're in a spot right now that essentially is a sweet spot, Joe says. This analyst, um, technical analyst, says that, you know, now is the time to buy if you're at least a five-year holder. You've got to give yourself some opportunity time in case it struggles. The ETF, XLE, uh, under ascending triangle and such a big drop. This is where you would expect to see some stabilization. But in the meantime, there might be some better opportunities for your funds if you don't have that time horizon or don't want that component in diversification. Global markets are relatively quiet today. Uh, crude oil has been on the rise despite the dollar strength. Energy, financials, industrials, and materials stronger today. Consumer staples, consumer discretionary, healthcare, utilities, technology, telco, weaker today. You know, yesterday was a big turnaround day. We're not really getting that massive correction uh, that people want, massive being 10%. I would be more than happy to see that kind of pullback. Some of the top stories out there today, Putin's worst nightmare, it's happening. The plummeting currency, rise in inflation, sagging oil prices. Um, is he going to blink at some point in time and play along with the world, or is he continuing his direct road down a czar um, ending? Uh, plummeting currency, rising inflation, sagging oil prices are things that could topple him. Former KGB operative has staked his reputation for years on Russia's spectacular economic growth in the 2000s tied towards oil. Russia's most important export climbed from $16 a barrel in 1999 to $140 a barrel in 2008. There was a new middle class that was created that enjoyed prosperity. Um, so Putin's grip on power is far from tenuous. Uh, it's got to be causing some concern on what's going on. So um, we'll see. That's one of those things that could be removed for the better of Wall Street. Sometime in 2015, I'm not calling on it like right here, right now. Ten-year um, Treasury could dip to 2%, so says BlackRock's Fink. This is kind of interesting. Not wildly interesting, but kind of interesting. BlackRock chairman and CEO Larry Fink told CNBC on Wednesday he sees bond yields under pressure in short term as stocks motor ahead. There's a high probability that bonds are going to stay in very narrow range for some time until we start seeing some real growth. that will force behaviors of central bankers changing. Um, so he sees the 10-year treasury potentially getting to 2%. He thinks it's going to be in the 2 to 2.5% range for a while. <clears throat> Um, so, and he says in an interesting way, he says, I see a higher probability of interest rates going down in the short run. And that leads you to, again, Putin and Europe. Europe is really struggling. Um, I don't want to pound that on the table so much that you think that I'm crazy, but Europe is really struggling. You're seeing economic conditions at 17, uh, month lows. Uh, Germany is kind of caught in the middle. Um, Henry Kissinger famously once said about Germany, poor old Germany, too big for Europe, too small for the world. And kind of holds some truth. Germany's consistently opposed more monetary stimulus by objecting to interest rate cuts and quantitative easing. Um, the conservative strategy may work for Germany, which does not necessarily need quantitative easing. Germany's growth is slow, but unemployment is at a record low. It does not bode well for more troubled economies like Spain, Italy, and Greece. So Spain, Italy, and Greece, they're, they're hurt. Um, I'd say Spain and Greece are the worst of the two. 
Italy's weak, but not as weak as Spain and, and Greece. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, 14 Wall Street experts got the 2014 interest rate story dead wrong last year at the start of the year. And it's worthy of no. These are people that could be quoted on a show like this. These are people that are quoted on CNBC. Um, I bring it up because five and a half years ago, I got an email from a client at New Focus that was, he was panicked. And, you know, he was like, hey, I, the market's going lower from here. And it was already down 45, 50%. And he wanted out. And I like, no. And then it goes on up, you know, a crazy run for the next five, six years up. Um, so one analyst last year at the start of the year, Joseph Davis at Vanguard, he thought we'd be in the 3 to 3.75% range by the end of the year. Uh, Mike Swell at Goldman Sachs thought 35 to 3.75%. Michael Schumacher from UBS thought we'd be at 3.5%. Alex Rover at J.P. Morgan Chase, 3.65%. I bring this up not to embarrass them, but to remind you that there's a lot of gurus out there who get a platform either on TV, radio, or the Internet, and they could be hurting your life. So please be cautious. Um, it is so not worth getting caught up in the moment of media, especially when the people don't know you and aren't working for you. I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Don't be shy. You can find out more about me or tweet me, Rob Black Show. YouTube me, Rob Black Show. Uh, always have an event coming up. I've got a webinar coming up soon. You can find out more about that at robblack.com. If it's not a webinar, then I've got a seminar coming up. I try to do them every six to seven weeks. Um, so I do have a webinar coming up to end the year, which is great because I could do it from my home office. And, you know wear bicycle shorts while I'm doing it. We'll take a break here. We'll be right back. You're listening to Rob Black, all things financial, trying to get you to retirement. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Bring in CFP Chad Burton. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. How are you, Mr. Burton? Great. So let's talk about the small stuff. In yeah. financial arena, don't sweat the small stuff. Should you sweat the small stuff or don't sweat the small stuff? Well, yeah, and this is really in terms of estate planning because the stuff in the middle is pretty easy to deal with, pretty straightforward, right? What's the middle? You know, your your basic wealth. Okay. If you if you have a living trust and you're titling the house the right way, your retirement accounts, your taxable accounts, your taxable accounts get titled into the name of the trust, which is still your social security number. There's no tax effect for doing that. It just bypasses probate. But it's kind of the big things and the and the really little things. The big things are meaning that. If you're a single person, you're over 5.34 million now. You have an estate tax problem. Okay. Married, 10.68, right? Okay. So it's those problems, and then the ones, the little ones. It's it's the things that catch an estate up for the longest period of time, like what to do with mom's wedding ring when she passes. Keep it. Well, pocket who, it. Who gets to Pawn keep it? it. There's Pawn there's it. three daughters. Who gets no. to keep it? Right. How about you cut it off her dead hand and? Sell it. Well, Is that know, the right answer? You know the story on that one. So. I do know the story yeah, on that one. I've told that a million times between my uh, for my aunt and my 
my uh, great aunt died, and my mom's sister wanted to pull the wedding ring off the finger. Who does? Who at wants death? Like who, like, who wants that? The body's still warm, and they want to pull the. And she asked my mom to do it. <laughs> do you think that's romantic? Because I, I clearly don't care about rings. And like if my dad died with his college football ring on, I'd be like, yeah, I'd go to the grave with him. Yeah. So do you think? See, I'm not romantic. Do you think you have to be romantic to want memorabilia like that? You do. I think there's a little bit of narcissism involved. So when I see this in families, it, it always comes back down to uh, the people that you would say, okay, that, that's kind of a narcissistic person. Maybe they're, you know, on Facebook doing selfies all the time. If you heard this whole Facebook selfie and the, the mental disorder that comes along with it, if if you point to all the, the problems, it's usually those people that are a bit narcissistic that always believe that they had the closer relationship with mom or dad or the aunt. Those are the ones that put up the huge fights that hold up estates for years at a time for a small item. The, you know, piece of furniture, Christmas ornaments. Um, there was one where it was a, a wealthy family that liked to hunt, and it was a, uh, oh, a, some sort of a grinder that ground meat. Sausage, yeah. yeah sausage grinder. Um, that was a nine-month process to f- figure out who got that, instead of just continuing to share they, it like it, they always had. And they couldn't go to Cabela's and get their own. <laughs> exactly. Which but is, it was passed down multiple generations, so instead of just keeping it in the family and, and keeping it in one spot or transferring it from one place to the other, where they all hunt in the same place anyway, instead they no longer talk because of one stupid item. So the opposite of your story is my story is my mother, she's getting up there in age. She should be dead, but she's been living with a stroke for 15 years. Um, I was like, can I have your rocking chair and can I have your frying pan? And she said, yeah. And I, that's my estate. That's her, that's her estate planning with me. Yeah, and I'll let my brothers, you know, what if they want to fight over it, fight over whatever they want to fight over, money, possessions, house. I don't want any of it. I got, I got my childhood memory. My mom's frying pan. <laughs> I remember walking into my stepmother's grand, my stepmother's house, in Black Butte, Oregon, and we went in there for our annual summer trip. And there were sticky notes all over everything, and it had a person's name on it. Oh, no. And she was she was getting older. Yeah, it's morbid. It was pretty morbid. Yeah. Because we were all there, and she'd kind of forgotten that she'd done it. <laughs> so there were sticky notes all over all these items. And uh, I'm like, my name's not on anything. <laughs> <laughs> Did you start writing chat and replacing sticky notes? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the one near the safe, the one on the car. It was stuff that really wasn't worth a lot anyways. But Did we cover what we needed to cover? Well, it is the small stuff. So, you know, you can have a living trust and you deal with the bigger things, but you also have to think about the smaller things. Okay. The wedding rings, the smaller things that you can, you know, have a letter along with your will and trust. Um, me, I'm just going to say sell everything, liquidate it, split the cash. Yeah. And that's what I think is the smart thing to do. Because mm-hmm. I've seen families destroyed over one grandfather that I know gave the granddaughter a lot, but gave his son nothing. And then gave his daughter everything, but gave the granddaughter nothing. Yeah. And they all hate each other. And, and, and keeping a track of these family items, you get families where they get a loan for a house for one daughter and then not for the son, and then those things don't get you know, written yeah. Yeah, down. And so people get angry at the end. Yeah. I've seen that one, too. And it's like, okay, so I'm going to get mom's house, but you get $200,000 now. They go off and spend that 200000 and they're bitter that they didn't get the house. Yeah. yeah. Get everything in writing and be respectful and about it. And give a lot while you're alive. You kind of get a lot of... Uh, it, you go it with feels charitable good. angle. Yeah, feels good. Feeling good, charitable angle. What are you trying to make up for? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Fast lives? I don't know. I think you did something <laughs> in high school or college that you don't want to admit. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, with that being said, you could. that's Chad Burton, newfocusfinancial.com. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. He's a CFP. Um, check out his website. There's a lot of great downloads there, New Focus Financial. And you can find me at line robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, hmm. Some other things to talk about today. Um, Honda's expanding an airbag call, recall nationally. These are things that don't hurt a company in the short term. They've got insurance for it. But the bigger issue is, is does it hurt them in the longer term? Remember when Toyota had the, uh, the braking issue? When you put your kid in that car, and let's say your kid's 10, you don't have to put your kid in Toyota for six more or seven more years driving it. But that kind of brand damage can take a long time to fix. 
or to really take a long time to get kicked into effect. You know, in the 1980s when I was, you know, doing the high, finishing high school and starting college and stuff, I remember very distinctly and very, you know, mentally um, that American cars were known as bad cars. You know, Ford stood for found on road dead, you know. Uh, there was hundreds of those like that, right? And I didn't buy a foreign, I didn't buy an American car, you know, for 20 years. Uh, now I would gladly buy a Ford truck or something along those lines. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, Motor Trends Truck of the Year. It's not the F-150, speaking of which. In a blow to Ford's pride in its all-new aluminum-bodied F-150 pickup truck, Motor Trend is announcing today that it's chosen Chevy's new pickup, the Colorado, for its truck of the year. And that can help their sales, for sure. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. I know what you're trying to say, baby. You're trying to say, oh, yeah, it's business time. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, invested, and more. Joining me now, Dr. Jeff Rosen from Briefing.com. How are you, Mr. Rosen? Oh, pretty good. Chief Economist, um, I've been recent, reading recently a lot about Russia sliding into a recession. Is that something that hits your world, or is it too far away to hit your mouth? It hits my world in terms of geopolitical problems. I mean, when you when you think of Russia and recession, you think of Putin losing grip on his uh, control of the citizenship. So, you know, what does that mean for you know uh, the way things can happen? And it scares me because it could be a start for more military action or some other type of uh, non-economic response to get the people thinking outside of their own dismal situation and, you know, blame Western powers and, and blame others for what's going on. And that could have significant repercussions. With that said, let's jump back to the United States and take a look at some of the economic data out there today. Private sector hiring slows in the month of November. The private sector added workers at a slower pace last month. Um, One-time blip, or are we as good as we can get, and, and we'll try to maintain that until it gets better? I'm a pretty big opponent of the ADP report. So even though the ADP number came out as slower than what uh, you know what people expected, and came out slower than last month, the number basically is, is a a trailer, I should say. So the 208 number that we came out today follows more closely with the October payroll number than it will probably with the November payroll number. So I'm still looking for uh, significant growth in payrolls, even though the ADP shows slowdown. I, I wouldn't get too upset with that number. Okay. Thinking, looking at some of the economic data releases that are out there today, Oh, and we get jobs reports on Friday. Um, forgot about that. Any commentary on what you're expecting with the, what you've seen with the private sector hiring playing out on Friday? Well, like I said, the ADP report, the, the way it's calculated, it's more of an estimate than an actual number. You know, it would right. be more useful if it was just what the ADP number said. So most economists that I talk to don't even use the ADP when they factor into their forecast for uh, for the jobs number that comes out on Friday. So... My estimate right now is at 260 for total payrolls, 250 for private, which is on the high side. Okay. What I've been looking at is the trends in initial claims. You know, we've had initial claims over the last few months, you know, below 300,000. Normally, levels around at this point would signal an employment sector that's at or near full employment. Now, I think it would be tough to argue that the economy is running at full employment. I mean, we were 
I'm assuming that there's a substantial number of discouraged workers out there that have not returned to the uh, employment sector yet. So there should still be an ample supply of people looking for work. So what I see with this low initial claims number is that businesses want to expand. You know, they're stopping layoff activities. Growth is there, and we should see a good pop in uh, in payroll gains. Okay. Now, what would you say the trend going into 2015 will be with jobs numbers? Do we get a little bit better? When do we hit the um, unemployment numbers that are not ideal, but the new norm, per se? Well, it's difficult to say what the new norm for the unemployment rate is. I mean, technically, full employment, according to the CBO, is like 5.5%. Uh, we're at 5.8 percent, and the way we've been trending, we probably reach 5.5 percent, you know, in another two or three months. The question is, is that really 5.5 percent, or is that number biased because a slew of discouraged workers haven't returned to the labor sector yet? Now, remember, the way you calculate the unemployment level is just the number of unemployed for the people that are wanting to find work. So, if you're discouraged, if the recession, you know, lets you you know, made you leave the labor force for some reason, either you believe that there's no job available for you, so you stop looking uh, as well. Those people aren't counted as unemployed. So if we put those people back in the labor market, you know, we probably have an unemployment rate that's closer to 7% than, than 6%. And I have a feeling that as the economy expands in 2015, a lot of those discouraged workers will return to the labor force, which will temporarily boost unemployment rates. Now, that's not a bad thing. That's actually signaling a more healthy uh, employment environment than what we had before, but it masks what the employment rate is telling us. You know, It says that things are getting worse on a number standpoint as opposed to a uh, statistical and actual standpoint. I asked that question. It was kind of awkward about it, Jeff Rosen, Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist Briefing.com, because I remember last year at this time you were saying things along the lines of job growth will get better as the year goes on, kind of a back-in-loaded statistic. Um, so I was just throwing that out there to see if we can't find some you know, norms and truths to kind of work with going forward. Um, take a look at some of the other data out there. Fed's Fisher, Fed Reserve Vice Chairman Stanley Fisher, said yesterday that the timing of the first increase in interest rates remains dependent on broader economic data. What's the feeling at this point in time on interest rates? Because we're starting to get a lot of messages from the Fed, and I don't have the brain to parse them correctly. Well, that's the problem. And part of the problem is that the Fed has been trying to tell us they're data dependent, and we're going to trust them on that. We're going to, they're actually going to be data dependent. But the question is, what data are they looking at? You know, historically, you look at PC inflation and unemployment rate. But as I've said before, that unemployment rate seems to be biased by, you know, probably a full percentage point, at least by the number of discouraged workers that are not in the labor pool. So if we take that into account, you know, and inflation is trending lower and nowhere near their uh, their potential, it gives the Fed a lot of leeway for the first rate hike. Now, if we believe that the unemployment rate of today is real. This is the actual unemployment rate. There are no discouraged workers that are beyond normal or typical economic uh, trends. Then, you know, these numbers would signal that a rate hike should begin almost immediately. So the question is, what's the real unemployment number? You know, if the real unemployment number is what I expect, and then I think Fisher is leaning in that direction at least a little bit, then you would have at least, uh, you know, another half year or so before you would need to start raising based on Taylor rate uh, calculations. But until the Fed gives us a more definitive number on what labor slack is, what they're looking at, we don't know. And, and it's really difficult to tell because the Fed by themselves have released a few different labor indicators, and they're all over the map. You know, Kansas City has their own labor indicator. Atlanta uses a, a 12-step spider-type graph, which is just a – a cool way of making graphs move up and down and side to side as opposed to really telling me much information. But, it, you know, it all boils down to the fact that the Fed doesn't have a definitive 
way of measuring unemployment. And until we get a more definitive uh, understanding, you know, the Fed speakers are going to be very, uh, you know, open-ended. They're going to say, well, we're waiting for this, we're waiting for that, without really understanding what that is. We recently saw from the IMF a statement come out along the lines of lower oil prices will help global economies. Where are you with lower oil? Because from my perspective as a talk show guy, I see lower oil helping Walmart, Target, Costco, Dollar General, Americans with gasoline issues. But then I start to kind of lose it a little bit on where she's saying, Christine Lagarde, that uh, it's going to help world economies because part of the reason oil's lower is there's not a lot of world economies working well right now. So it almost seems conflicting, but it's not. I just need your perspective on it. Well, historically, a $20 drop in crude oil prices would result in about a quarter percentage point of GDP growth. So, you know, the fact that we've seen prices drop from, you know, 100 to, you know, in, in the 60s or, or so in the 70s, you know, would add 0.3.4 percentage points of GDP growth historically. The problem now is that a lot of our current growth in uh, GDP is coming from the energy sector. And the energy sector in the U.S. can't function at a uh, oil price that's low. I mean, the, the cost of producing from our fracking industry is much higher. So you need to have higher oil prices in order for that to be sustainable. So you know, there, there is some concern that lower oil prices, while it would be a benefit for consumers, will actually be a detriment for economic growth in uh, the medium term because it prevents construction in the mining industry or production in the mining industry. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that plays out. In the, in the immediate term, for U.S. anyways, the drop in oil prices should act as a essentially a tax cut. You know, consumers have more in their wallets at this time, which should allow them to buy more goods, you know, today, which will allow for real GDP growth to accelerate. Uh, but it's unknown how long that'll last, you know, given the fact that oil prices are, are pretty volatile. Anything that you want to chime in with quickly as far as the economy goes? We've got about 30 seconds. Um, you know, Friday is payroll number. It's important. We also get our trade data on Friday. It'll be interesting to see how, uh, you know, the lower oil prices impact uh, our, our trade data. We've been seeing a tightening overall effect in the net trade deficit. And a lot of that has been because of domestic uh, production of energy. So take a look gotcha. at that. Thank you so much. It's Dr. Jeff Rosen. It's a really rainy day here. You can find him at briefing.com. It's briefing.com. Thanks for listening to the show. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. My goal is to get you to retirement any way I have to. Americans are massively unprepared for retirement, and it's tragic and it's sad. I'm not going to get too, like, oh, boo-hoo on you. But our knowledge of retirement is sometimes very peculiarly ignorance. We like to put our heads in the ground and act like it. It's not really happening to us. It's going to happen to you. So I want you to take your money very seriously. You have to save while you're working 10 to 15% of your salary, every paycheck. But I want to go to, and like, yeah, tough. Get a better job. You've got to save more money. Um, I'm not a big holiday person. I think in large part because I'm an alcoholic dad and I don't have a lot of emotions because I try to hide those from him. 
Um, and I didn't really enjoy childhood. So I'm kind of a troubled person in the sense that I'm not a lot of fun to be around. I'm horrible in relationships. But that's not what I'm bringing this up about. Um, you would think like, oh, Rob's just being cheap because he's a money guy. No, I just – I think a lot of people – throw money into the holidays that they shouldn't. I don't mind you throwing into good food. Like if you want to take me out, grab a drink, good bottle of wine, nice glass of scotch, 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 scotch in my belly, belly, belly. Absolutely. That's to me what the holidays are all about, making a human connection. Um, but not so much the holiday gifts. Um, there's great holiday gifts that you can get for under 16 bucks, for instance. You don't have to go broke to show someone that you care about them. Um, this 2012 Klein Ancient Vines Infidel is $12. Um, Malbec from Argentina, 2011, uh, $15. Most of these could be gotten like at a Trader Joe's or the international wines. Um, that's really what I would recommend. And then you can kind of say, hey, look, it's an international wine. Let's, let's share glass and think about going to Italy. Um, I saw one of the most craziest things that I've ever seen. And I talked a little bit about the back half of this story previously. But the turkey that President Barack Obama pardons every year, they give it to Mount Vernon, which was the home of George Washington. And most of them don't live until the next year's turkey that's pardoned shows up. Because we are making turkeys for food. So we've crazily changed their their bodies. And this was brought up to, uh, you know, even more obvious when I saw what chickens have looked like. Because we breed chickens. So if it was a turkey in the wild. The turkey in the wild will, will live for years and years and years after being released. But because it's bred for food... Our breeding is changing these animals aggressively, um, genetically. Just throwing it out there. A lot of people talk about how football players are genetically um, stronger and stronger and stronger. Chickens and turkeys are as well. In this case, turkeys aren't. They're actually bred for fatness and plumpness. Sorry, turkeys. I'm calling you fat. You'll live. Um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, Warren Buffett is considered, I think, the greatest investor in modern history. He started off as a young man in the 1950s, and he's accumulated a fortune of over $60 billion. I'm not saying you could do that, but I'm saying he started out just like you. Now, you may have been caught up watching The League or Game of Thrones and weren't thinking business ideas. He was thinking business ideas. He's very low in tech in his portfolio. His portfolio of holdings includes no biotech, no internet companies. His top holdings are American Express, Coca-Cola, Wells Fargo, IBM. His private companies are fairly traditional, like Heinz and Geico and Fruit of Loom and others. Um, shares of Berkshire Hathaway have more than doubled in the last five years, which is a reflection of the strength of his Businesses that he's purchased names like Burlington Northern, Seas Candies, Dairy Queen, Benjamin Moore, Justin Boots, and others. He's more interested in long-term holdings, and he's infamously resistant to investing in the next big thing. Um, why investing in what you know makes a lot of sense. It's a circle of competence concept, which is a way for you to focus on you know operating in areas that you know best. Like if you know anything about yogurt stores, it doesn't cost a lot of money to make that, and they charge a lot of money to sell it. So the margins are really high. So kind of don't get in over your head. Now, like there's a loser on his list, IBM, but not in his lifetime it's not a loser. And we'll see if he buys more in the coming quarters as he releases that information. And I'm just throwing that out there for you. 800-516-1220. Get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220. You can always email me, rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. And uh, if you have any questions, drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. You know, take a look at the markets. Don't get caught up on a day-by-day -day basis. I don't think that's the way to go. 
I like the diversity that Warren Buffett practices and preaches. Um, I like the idea of, hey, use the upcoming holidays as a time to reflect on your hol- on your finances. Max out your 401k. Consider a Roth conversion from a traditional IRA. Shop for health insurance on the exchanges if you're in that scenario. Start getting ready to taking your required minimum distributions. Things can change for you financially, but you've got to take that first step. You listen to Rob Black and your money, or you listen to Rob Black. I'm Rob Black. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.